Well, I'd like to begin today by asking you a question. And by a show of hands, how many of you like going to the doctor's office? Yeah, we got one in the house. Well, if it's preventative, right? Uh, How many of you do not like going to the doctor? Yeah, more hands go up. I'm in that camp. I do not like going to the doctor. Doctor's offices are kind of a funny business. Now, if you're a fan of comedy, maybe you've heard of somebody named Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld has developed some keen observations when it comes to explaining what it feels like to wait at a doctor's office. And he talks about it in his special. And here's what he says about the whole thing. Now, and before I read this quote to you, I want to remind you, he is observational humor. When you read an observational humorist, it may not be funny, but I encourage you to pretend laugh anyway. Here we go. So here's a quote from Jerry. He says, like... When you go see the doctor, you don't actually see the doctor first. You must wait in the waiting room. There's no chance of not waiting. That's the name of the room. See, that, for instance, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> it's not as good when I read it. Uh, the doctors are all back there. We can't take him now. We already have this room. And you sit there, you're pretending to read your little magazine, but really you're just looking at the other people. I wonder what he's got. Well, this guy looks like a goner. And then they call you, and you get very excited because now you think you're going to go see the doctor, but you're not. Now you're actually going to the next smaller waiting room. And now you don't have your magazine, and you've got your pants around your ankles, and you're sitting there in that butcher paper. They pull it over the table. Sometimes I like to bring a pickle and put it next to me right under the table in case the doctor wants to pull the whole thing up for a to-go order. Uh, so anyway, doctor's offices are weird. Waiting rooms are weird. And today we're going to talk about Jesus and healing. And today we're going to be looking at a story that highlights history's most famous waiting room described in the Bible as described by the book of John. And over the years, I've had the opportunity to see lots and lots of people healed. I've heard stories both in this congregation and people outside of this congregation who, by way of prayer, were healed. And I've seen even more people, even more people whom I prayed for and other people have prayed for that were not healed. I've seen both. Now, over the past month and leading up to Easter, we've been doing a series here at Pacific City Church called The Real Jesus. And in this series... We want to get rid of, as much as possible, all the extra stuff, all the religious traditions and misunderstandings regarding the person of Jesus. And no miracle is reported more of Jesus in the Gospels than healing. This is what we see. We see that Jesus healed. He healed adults. He healed children. He healed chronic conditions and acute illnesses. He healed crowds. He healed one person at a time. He healed people who were full of faith, people who had no faith. He healed the blind, the deaf, the mute, the crippled, the epileptics, the lepers, both Jews and people who were not Jewish. He healed the deserving and the undeserving. He healed the grateful and the ungrateful. And it is impossible to properly understand the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus without taking a look at his ministry of healing. So I call today's talk, Jesus, our healer. I'm going to pray one more time and invite God's presence. Will you join me in prayer today? God, we are so glad that we get to come here. And God, I I just come before you and I say that there are people here who need your healing. They need your touch. They need a breakthrough. They need you to heal them. God, there's other people here today that have people in their lives that need to be healed. 
And Jesus, I come to you and I say, you are the healer. I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. Help us to understand how you heal. And God, draw close to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at a story about Jesus in John chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at it starting in verse 1. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along or you can follow on these screens right here. It says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on this text. What do we read in verses 2 and 3? We read this. I'm going to repeat what I just read, just, but just a couple verses. It says, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, and John tells us that Jesus was by a pool. And archaeologists have discovered this pool back in the 19th century. And because of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a bunch of scrolls that were hidden in a cave that gave us extra biblical material, we discovered those in the 1940s, we know that the name of the pool is called Bethesda. Now, Bethesda actually means house of mercy or house of flowing. And this pool was essentially like a doctor's office. It was like a waiting room that wasn't attached to another waiting room. It was a waiting room for the sick and the lame and the dying to potentially be miraculously healed. And what they believed is that sometimes an angel would come down and stir up the pool and they would just flop their bodies into the pool and they would get healed. Now, these Dead Sea Scrolls that I mentioned that were found in the 1940s also tell us that Bethesda was a place where the sick and the dying and the blind and lame would Gather and wait for healing. And the reason I mention all of this to you, especially if those of you who wonder if you can rely on the Bible, you ask, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust that what I read about Jesus in the Bible is actually real? Is this history or is this just mythology? The reason I mentioned the discovery of the pool uh, by archaeologists and how it corroborates with the Dead Sea Scrolls. The reason I mention all this is to say that this is something that actually existed in history. The Bible is not a book of fairy tales that happened long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. We know where this place was. 
archaeologists dug it up, and we know what people used to do there. They used to wait for healing. And uh, I have on the screen a picture of this pool, what it looks like today in the old city of Jerusalem. And the reason, again, the reason I'm sharing this with you is when we read the stories about Jesus, we're actually reading real facts from history. We're just not talking about belief systems here. This is actually something that took place. Okay, so with that being said, what does this story tell us about the real Jesus? The first thing is that the real Jesus sees the man and does something. The story tells us about a man who was an invalid for 38 years. Someone had brought him to the pools to get healed, but that person didn't stay. And in verse 7, we read that he has no one there to help him get in the pool when the water is moved. And in verse 6, we read something like this. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and he had learned of his condition, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Mercy in the Bible is always characterized by somebody seeing suffering. And it's not just a quick glance at it and then we look away. No, no, no. But it's a person who looks long enough to not only notice a person who is suffering, but it's to have your heart moved so that you will actually do something about it. So let me ask you a personal question. Do you look long enough And do you look long enough to notice people who might be in pain? We can be so distracted with our own thoughts, with our own concerns, with our own anxieties, or we're so tethered to some sort of technology that's right in front of our faces that we don't see, that we don't look long enough to notice when people are in pain. And if you are listening to me today and you would like to begin to notice people who are in pain just a little bit more, one of the best ways that you can improve the way you notice is to pray. You say, God, give me eyes to see what the real Jesus sees in people. God, I want to see what you're doing. And if the Holy Spirit would reveal it to you to do something, would he reveal you to act on that, to stop, to pray for the person, to speak, to ask if you can pray for them. And don't just stop there. Don't just ask God for eyes to see, but pray that God would give you those eyes, but he would also give you the heart of the real Jesus to allow yourself to be an instrument of God to bring his healing to the world. It's not just that we see what's going on, but God, give me your heart so when I see someone in need, I can respond. It has to, you have to give me the thing that I don't have. That's the first thing. The real Jesus sees the man and does something for him. The second thing I see here is that the real Jesus works according to God's timing. We read in verse 5, one who had been an invalid for 38 long years. 38 long years. Why did Jesus choose to heal this man on this day? Why didn't he choose to heal him the day before or a week before or like two years before or like 38 years before? Why did he choose this day? Why did Jesus happen to visit the pool on this day and this dude was there at that time? Why was that the moment of healing and not a million other opportunities to heal before? And here's the truth. The answer is we have no idea. We don't know. Who can humanly fathom God's timing? In history... We see that God does usually one of two things. Either he's really quick, immediately acts. He sometimes acts immediately. 
and other times he seems slow to act, slow to fulfill his promise. And you know, you and I, the culture we live in, we are so formula and technique driven in the 21st century. Americans love control. We are control freaks. And we believe that we need to discover the next technique, the next formula for making something happen. And the difficulty we have in the 21st century is that the real Jesus cuts counter to our need for control in every way. With the real Jesus, it is never, if I do A, B, C, and then God must do D. So many Christian conferences say, look, if we just pray for this amount of time, X amount of time, then certainly God must bring about a revival. Or we think if I could just get five more people to agree to pray for me on Facebook, then finally the person I've been praying for will get healed. My son or my daughter or my parent or the person in my life that I love, they will finally be healed. And the frustrating thing about being in a relationship with Jesus, let me just tell you, there's some frustrating things. The frustrating frustrating thing about being in a real relationship with the real Jesus is that you can't make him do what you want. Jesus said oh, this about the generation that he was living in. You know how people talk, you know, older people, not, no one old in this room, but older people in other rooms that go, oh man, this generation. Well, this is what Jesus said about his generation. He did it too. And in, in a different part of the Bible, Jesus talks uh, in, uh, he says this, he goes to what can I compare this generation They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And I think Jesus could say to this generation, the generation here, people in this room and people outside of this room, he would say the same thing to us. He would, he, we get upset. We're upset when he doesn't dance to our tune. We're upset when he doesn't drum to the meat, uh, drum, he doesn't, he doesn't dance to the beat of our drum. He doesn't march to the beat of our drum. We're upset when he doesn't accept our calendar invite to do the thing we've asked him to do in the time frame that we've asked him to do it. Who can understand the timing of the Lord? So let me ask you, how many of you have heard dozens and dozens of messages about following Jesus. You've been in church. You've been in a situation where you all face one direction. And there's one single person that kind of talks at you for a period of time. How many of you have been in church services and then you finally come to this conclusion that Jesus is real and you want to follow him? You've been in it for dozens of times. You, you come to this conclusion, you say, you know what? I don't know what it did, what's with the day, but I finally realized that I don't have to do anything to please Jesus, that Jesus, what he did on the cross, satisfies whatever needs to be exchanged for me to have a relationship with God. I surrender my life to Christ. He will save me. And I say, when you have that moment, I go, yes, you finally got it. That's amazing. That's amazing. And now maybe like you've heard this hundreds of times before, but why the penny drops when it drops, I have no idea. That is a mystery of the grace of God. And I think about a lot that for my own prayers with God. I wonder why sometimes like I'll pray for something over and over again and it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it happens. The thing 
I was praying for, the thing I was praying about, the thing I was hoping for, the thing I was trying not to chase after and make happen myself. I was leaving space for God to do something miraculous. It finally happens. Something finally breaks. I'm like, oh my God, it finally happened. I definitely say, oh my God. I'm like, oh my God, it finally happened. And, And the issue of God's mysterious timing of the real Jesus is it just doesn't, it's not just so that we don't manipulate God. Like if I do a bunch of things, like we, you know, he'll do what he we. It's not just so that we don't treat him as a divine vending machine. The mysterious timing of God ought to fill every single one of us with hope. Every single one of us can be filled with hope because you know why? Because you can say to yourself, you can say, my son, I may have not seen my son or daughter healed. My father or mother healed, my sister or brother or my spouse or friend uh, come to know the real Jesus yesterday. But that doesn't mean that the Lord won't move in them today. And Jesus, you know, hey, you know, I may have not seen healing today. I may have not seen it uh, healing last week or even last month or last year. But that doesn't mean that healing is not coming. Jesus tells us that the wind blows where it may. Who knows if today isn't the day of salvation? Who knows if today isn't the day of healing? God does things according to his timing. Um, Next thing I see is that the real Jesus is not limited by the size of our problem or the worthiness of the recipient. This man had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus, after 38 years of waiting, Jesus, uh, he just heals him. Uh, and we see in Luke 18, another, uh, Jesus mentions this. He says, Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They should not give up. Don't ever stop praying for someone to experience Jesus. And if you want to see healing, don't ever stop praying for healing. You know that, did you know this? Did you know that the real Jesus can crack the hardest nut? He has all the power and all the authority, and he can crack the hardest nut, and he can melt the hardest heart. And as I look around this room, I can see your faces. I see faces, and I connect those faces with stories about how God has worked miracles in your life. For some of you, some of you were hardened to God. You wanted nothing to do with him. Yet in some miraculous way, in some spectacular moment or some quiet moment, there's something changed. Everything changed. The penny dropped and you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that you had discovered the most important thing in the world. And wouldn't you want that for a parent? Wouldn't you want that for a grandparent or a relative, a brother or a sister or a friend? Wouldn't you want them to experience that? There's no person, no sickness, no chronic condition, no political problem, no problem in our nation's capital, no problem internationally, no addiction and no situation that is too hard for the real Jesus. None of it. The real Jesus is not only not limited to the size of our problem, he's not limited to the worthiness of the recipient. There's no problem that's too big for God. Do you understand that? But also, it's not about how worthy you are. 
So when the authorities asked this man, they said, who healed you? You're not supposed to be carrying your mat. And Jesus, and he goes, you know, what does this man do? He finally finds out and he throws Jesus under the bus. He goes, Jesus made me do it. And so we see that the man went away. He says, it was Jesus who made me well. And what we get in this story is that was not included. We don't see that this guy was a very good guy. Many of the people that Jesus healed, they weren't great people. There's no discussion. There's no real interest in trying to label the people that Jesus healed as good people or bad people. Like so many of us here in this room, this guy had faults. This guy had problems. And still, Jesus healed him. He still saw the healing mercy of Jesus. Jesus does not, let me say this, the real Jesus does not divide the world into good people and then bad people, and then only the good people get the healing and the bad people, well, maybe if I have a couple extra minutes, I can do that. He recognizes and welcomes everyone to experience his healing touch. He's not limited to the size of the problems. He's not limited by the worthiness of the recipient, which is good news for you, because some of you have made mistakes in your past and you're like, I don't know if I am qualified or I am worthy enough to experience God's healing. That is not true. That is from the enemy. And we Christians believe that there's another team on the field. There is an enemy in this world that wants to lie to you. And we say to you today, I speak to you from this stage and I say, no, that is not true. It does not matter whether you're worthy or not. If you would come to Jesus, you can experience healing today. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? And if you don't believe that, just like think about it more. But if you do believe it, why don't you come? Why don't you come? I'm not asking you to come right now. If someone pops up, that would be awesome. But don't do it right now. But I'll ask that in a little bit. Anyway, so, um, yeah. I want to talk to you about something else. The real Jesus heals the whole person. It's another thing we see here. Real Jesus heals the whole person. I want us to look at Jesus' statements in the story because he says three things that actually uh, help us to tackle, like, the complexity of healing. He goes way beyond physical healing here. He does more than that. He, yes, feeling, healing our physical bodies is really important to Jesus. That's what he does. But he wants to do more than that. He wants to heal the whole person. And so the first statement that we read really gives us an indication that it's not just about our bodies. It's more than that. The real Jesus actually heals us emotionally. Why would I say this? Well, put yourself in the man's position. Uh, Jesus comes to him. He's like, oh, I heard about you 38 years. And the first question, like he's sitting there by this pool that's supposed to heal him if he can kind of flop his body into the water in time. And Jesus' first question is, do you want to get well? What a rude question. What? Like, I'm sorry. I thought you said, Jesus, do I want to get well? What do you mean, do I want to get well? What do you mean, do I want to get well? I'm lying here by the pool. Do I want to get well? What are you talking about? I'm at the pool. Throw me in the pool. Flop me in. I want to get better. Do what do you mean, do I want to? You know, um, you know, I'm here. I'm trying to deal with my depression. What do you mean, do I want to get well? I'm here at a therapist's office. What do you mean, do I want to get well? I'm going to AA, I'm going to NA, I go to an addiction group every Friday night. What do you mean do I want to get well? What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm going to see a Christian counselor with my spouse to heal my marriage. What do you mean do I want to get well? What do you mean? Why did Jesus ask this question? Well, therapists tell us 
there's something out there that they call secondary benefits to being ill, to remaining ill. People receive a benefit from not getting better. This is just the truth. Just because somebody goes to a therapist to receive some sort of therapy doesn't necessarily mean that they want to get well. And wise therapists know that clients may not get well because they form an attachment to the therapist and they build a relationship with the therapist and they feel connected to the therapist. And the longer they stay unwell, the more the therapist will continue to see them. Therapists say that some people will put off losing weight uh, because they're anxious about dating or they're anxious about being sexually attractive. And some people, they put off getting better at what they do. They sabotage themselves because they're afraid of succeeding more than they are of failure. They've become so comfortable with failure, they're like really nervous about succeeding. They fear, they fear that if they succeed, that they'll be given more responsibility. They'll be given a bigger title, a more prominent role in the organization. So they sabotage themselves. And some may go to marital counseling with no real good reason other than to just justify themselves in front of the pastor or the therapist or their mom that told them that they needed to go to the therapist. So just because somebody is going through the motions of lying next to a pool doesn't necessarily mean that they want to get well. Maybe it does, but it does not necessarily mean that. And the real Jesus in all of his graciousness and kindness, he looks at him and he gets right into his divided heart. He looks right at his divided heart and his mixed motives, his ambivalence about getting well. The real Jesus, in the same way, wants to get at our divided hearts, at our mixed motives, whether it's going through a marital counseling session, whether we're fighting an addiction, or whether we just need to see God heal our knee or our acute headaches that we have all the time. That God wants to, he wants to divide, he wants to recognize our divided heart and he asks us, he wants to, you know, meta, you know, not really literally speaking, but he almost, it's almost like he looks us in the eye and he says to us, hey, how much do you really want to change? How much do you really want to get this problem out of your life? Do you want to get well? And folks, it's not as easy to answer as it might first seem. Do you want to get well? And what Jesus is getting at is he's healing the man emotionally. There's an emotional work that he's doing with this man. Well, not only does Jesus heal emotionally, Jesus heals the man volitionally. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, in other words, Jesus reengages this man's will. And he says it is very common for people with chronic conditions People that have been sick for a very long time to have deep feelings of powerlessness. Hey, look, my choices don't matter. Hey, I've lost control of my body. I've lost control of my mind. I've lost control of my future and my dreams. And I, I, I just, everyone has to help me with everything. And the real Jesus isn't concerned about just taking care of this, this invalid man. He's actually concerned about healing the whole person. So he has this chronically ill guy, this guy that's been a long-term invalid. He actually invites him to participate in his own healing. He actually says, pick up your mat, walk. I'm not going to do for you the thing that you can do everything you can do for yourself. I'm not going to do everything for you. I'm not going to lift you off the ground. I'm going to give you back your dignity. You are a man and made in God's image. And I give that back to you. You can do this part for yourself. I'm doing the healing, but just get up. 
Come on, just pop up. Just get up. Just get up. Wise nurses and wise caregivers will tell us, they'll tell you and they'll tell me, that you shouldn't do something for a patient that the patient can do for themselves because it will increase the feeling of powerlessness. You pick up your mat. You pick up your mat. You pick yourself up in this area. And that's what Jesus says to us today. He will invite you to participate in your healing. Some of you are being invited to pick up your mat. To pick up your mat. Come on, just pick it up. Just pick it up. Stand up and I will heal you. God's doing the work, but you get to participate. He's giving you back the dignity that you deserve as a human being. Amen. The real Jesus heals emotionally. He heals us volitionally. And he also heals us spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. In verse 14, it says this. It says, later Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Uh, a few chapters later in John 9, uh, Jesus actually heals another guy who was born blind. And Jesus makes it very clear that this man who was born blind was not born blind because of his sin. Uh, and so what he's trying to say here is that you can't actually make a connection between your sickness and your sin. Not everyone who's sick has some secret sin going on in their life. Uh, but we can't avoid this very interesting statement that Jesus is making here because he actually says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the unavoidable thing, uh, unavoidable meaning is that the bad thing that happened to this guy was caused by something that he did. And if he didn't stop doing it, the thing was going to come back. In some way, this guy had opened the door to an evil spiritual force that needed to be slammed shut. And Jesus invites him. He says, just slam that door shut. Don't allow other spiritual forces to affect your decision making. So you find yourself back in the same position that you were before. Jesus is not just interested in healing our bodies. He's interested in healing the whole person emotionally, volitionally, spiritually. And sometimes Jesus invites us to take part in that healing. And if we want to see a full and complete healing, we participate in a full and complete confession and radically repenting and turning away from the things that may have got us there in the first place. So, Here's the last thought I have for us today as we finish up. Today, uh, you know, we've talked about Jesus as healer. But what I want to say to you is this. The real Jesus will use anyone to heal. Will use anyone to heal. Jesus gave away his ministry of healing. He didn't just hoard it all for himself. He wasn't like one of these TV preachers with the beautiful gowns and they bring him up on stage and smack them so hard that they fall over. And he didn't say things like, look, I'm the only one that can bring healing. You must come to me and I'm the one that has to do it. Jesus gave his healing ministry away. First, he gave it to the 12 disciples. Then he gave it to the 70 who followed him. And then he gives us, you and me, his healing ministry today. And this is what he says in Matthew 28, right before Jesus, when Jesus died and came back to life and right before he left and ascended into heaven. Um, if you're new to church and you don't know a lot about the Bible, that probably that statement probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Happy to talk with you about it after the service. But Jesus like came back to life and he ascended into heaven. What? Anyway, right before he left, right before he left, this is one of the things he said. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, 
even to the very end of the age. And one of the things, just one of the things, that Jesus commanded the disciples to do and people who follow Jesus today, what he commanded us to do is to go out and do what? Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Participate with the Holy Spirit in healing others. The disciples were told to teach everything that Jesus taught them and teach them to obey what he commanded them. And that includes going out and healing the sick. The real Jesus, the way he set this up is that he will use anyone to heal. Anyone. And what would it look like for Pacific City Church to become a people Not just a room, not just right now. What would it look like for us to become a people who were used by God, who are used by God to bring a little bit of healing to the city, to bring a little bit of hope to the city? What would it look like for God to use you? And when I say you, I'm not talking to the person you're sitting next to you on who's sitting next to you on your left. And not the person who's sitting next to you on your right. I'm talking about you. What would it look like for God to use you? To bring physical healing and emotional healing. To bring spiritual healing. And in our current cultural climate. There's a lot of noise out there. About what it means to believe in Jesus. And to be a Christian. And to follow God. And there's a lot of opinions out there too. And what I think Los Angeles needs. Is that we need an authentic And powerful reality of God in the lives of people that claim to follow Jesus. People need to see what God does and how he loves. And if our lives would begin to reflect the power of God. If our lives would just for a little tiny fraction be able to resemble the Jesus the healer. I wonder what that would do. What if we became healers? And to be blunt, I think I know what would happen. It would radically change everything. The whole city would literally be turned upside down. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to help people experience God's healing from illness, from emotional wounds, from disappointment, from loss, and even spiritual and these existential crises crises that we face as we get over? And I have found... It is easier for you and for me as Jesus followers to talk with somebody about faith or talk to someone who doubts the existence of God. It's easier to talk about our faith and what we believe and how we actually relate to this God named Jesus. If we are tuned in and tapped into the miracles and the power of God. And we've all heard it said that actions speak louder than words. That's what I'm talking about here. When our actions actually do something in the city when we actually get tuned in and tapped into the power of god somehow when we have conversations with people about god the dynamic actually changes it melts away the potentially toxic conversation and it melts away all the defensive conversations and why is that if we want people to believe in god we have to practice what we preach we must go to god and we must ask god To use us to bring healing to somebody who needs it. And if you do that, I promise you, this will change the dynamic of your relationships with people when you talk about faith with them. They'll like, can you imagine, like, just dream with me here. Like, someone, 
doesn't necessarily follow or believe in God. That's, that's fine, whatever. Like, we respect that. We're not here to bully anyone into anything. But, like, if someone doesn't really follow Jesus and you pray for them and they get healed, they're going to be like, uh, what was that all about? They're going to be completely surprised. And they go, you know, they might say, hmm, I don't know what I think about that. But I do know that I was sick and now I'm not sick. Pacific City Church. We're a 30-week-old church. We're like an infant. But it has always been our vision that we might be able to change the conversation in this city about Jesus. And people might say about us, you know what? I didn't know what I believed. I wasn't sure. I was trying to figure out how life and spirituality works. And I experienced the healing touch, the power of God. And I, I can't help but go this direction. There's something about Jesus that's pulling me in, that I'm getting wrapped up in, that I want for my life. And if they didn't say that, okay, I get that. Like I said, we respect other people's beliefs. But at least they might say, you know what? I'm not sure what I believe about this whole Jesus thing. I mean, they actually believe that a guy was dead and then he came back to life. That's a little cray-cray for me. But what I do know is that if I was going to go to a church, that's the church I would go to. I don't even know, really. There's something spiritual going on in the room there. I may not completely understand it, but I respect them because they're doing a good work there. That we could change the conversation about what we're doing here in the city. And the challenge I'm giving us is this. When we ask God to use us, he listens. He invites us to participate with him. He invites us to become the healers as he heals through us if we choose to join up with what he's already doing. Doesn't that sound fun? Doesn't it sound fun to actually maybe do some of this stuff? And what I'm inviting the church into is to practice this, to try this, to see if God might want to use us in a way to bring healing to people's hearts and their minds and their bodies. Amen? Amen. Why don't we all stand?